bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. I'm Paul Dragu. A judge recently ordered that hundreds of documents with names of Jeffrey Epstein's associates be unsealed. Word on the street is that many in power circles are already scrambling to have their names redacted. Also, a group of Republicans and Democrats are joining forces on a resolution calling for charges against Julian Assange to be dropped. And Wisconsin lawmakers joined fellow Scanies yesterday in a call to have the National Railroad Museum remove the Satanic Temple's tree display from their Christmas Festival of Trees. We have exclusive footage from the event. We have all that coming up, plus a conversation about how we can free Americans from the two-party system trap. But first, in his book, Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time, the late Professor Carol Quigley said the belief in a two-party system was foolish. He said that the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out at any election without leading to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. Now, Quigley knew how the globalists work because he had studied them for years. He was even allowed to go over their secret documents for a couple of those years. He revealed that the globalist plan was to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy as a whole. He didn't object to their goals, only to their keeping these goals a secret. For at least the last 70 years, the globalists were on the smooth road to the creation of a one-world government. For decades, it was exactly as Quigley described. With every new president, whoever he was, we continue marching toward the new world order. More foreign entanglements, more wars, more global redistribution of wealth from Americans to everywhere else. The new, the new rascals were no different than the old rascals. Then Donald Trump happened. Now, whatever you think of him, Trump was not part of the globalist plan. And since his win in 2016, the Republican Party has been fractured nearly to a point where we almost have two legitimately different political parties. That's why the internationalists are anxious to get the GOP back on the globalist reservation. In its latest issue, the Council on Foreign Relations publication, Foreign Affairs, published an article titled, The Case for Conservative Internationalism. The author yearns for the days when the Republican Party promoted American security and economic power while supporting the expansion of democracy around the world, which included providing for a strong military. Unfortunately, Republicans' commitments to internationalism have weakened dramatically. The author calls Trump an isolationist and condemns his desire to withdraw from NATO and drive out the warmongers and globalists from the U.S. government. Other Republican leaders like Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy express outright hostility towards sustaining the United States international commitment. Worse, the author noted, 77% of Republican voters want the U.S. to be less involved in solving problems overseas. Now, this won't do. The author, Corey Shake says that traditional conservative internationalism remains the best way to protect U.S. national security and store the economy. And voters may still be eager for an internationalist foreign policy agenda if that agenda could be presented to them persuasively. The article even takes shots at the Biden administration for believing that U.S. businesses can't prosper or compete internationally without government funds. 
Biden has also failed to recommit the U.S. to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and he has embittered allies that the U.S. will need in future conflict with China. Now, China is a major theme in the article, the gist being that the Biden regime has made many mistakes in preparing for what is presented as an inevitable war and that those mistakes may cause us to lose that next inevitable war. Then it takes a crack at entitlement reform. It accounts, entitlement does, for 63% of federal spending, which is up from 19% in 1970. And who are the best Republicans to rein in entitlements? Well, Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. Those two are the only GOP figures endorsed in this article. The goal, nevertheless, is to sell voters on internationalist policy. But that shouldn't be too difficult, the author says. We just need more arguments grounded in U.S. national interests. So joining me for this conversation is editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and the John Birch Society research manager, Christian Gomez. We have five minutes. I know there's no way that's enough. Maybe we'll circle back around to this topic uh, in segment four. Uh, Gary, you and I had discussed this. I guess uh, I, can't, I can't imagine that anyone here is surprised that Nikki Haley uh, would be would be touted as as by the establishment. We can see the media pushing her. I mean, even USA Today of all uh, actually defended her uh, if, uh, in a fact checker. They sent one of their little Nazi fact checkers to defend her. I believe from Vivek or Iran. What do you what do you make of of what we're discussing here, Gary? What the globalists are saying? Well, what they're saying, uh, as you pointed out by quoting Carol Quigley from Tragedy and Hope is that the two parties need to be essentially two heads of the same entity so that the rascals could be thrown out and uh, then the new rascals could come in and, and uh, they implement the same policy. Yeah. And uh, apparently they believe the uh, Republican Party has gotten somewhat off of the uh, reservation. Yeah. And it's really interesting that they pointed to the year 1952. Uh, because something something significant happened in 1952. In 1952, Robert Taft, uh, the senator from Ohio, uh, who was such a symbol of the Republican Party, he was commonly known at the time as Mr. Republican, he ran for president of the mm. United States. Yeah. And uh, he should have won, but uh, his candidacy was sabotaged at the Republican National Convention in 1952. Mm. Uh, Eisenhower became the nominee instead, and Eisenhower became president. Right. And since then, the Republican Party has moved in the direction of uh, Republican uh, internationalism, has moved in the direction of uh, uh, Republican uh, socialism. Yeah. But uh, Robert Taft, uh, uh, Mr. Republican, who died, by the way, the following year, he died in uh, 1953. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, he died the same month I was born. <laughs> so I'm revealing my age. But uh, Robert Taft wrote this book, A Foreign Policy for Americans which expresses the foreign policy of the Founding Fathers. And I'd just like to read a, a couple sentences from this book. Uh, Robert Taft says, and again, this is Mr. Republican, our traditional policy of neutrality and non-interference with other nations was based on the principle that this policy was the best way to avoid disputes with other nations yeah. and to maintain the liberty of this country without war. Yeah. So that was the traditional principle of the no. Republican Party, if you go back uh, to what, 1952 and before, what we've gotten away from them. What do you think of, of, of this? What Gary just read is and should be the traditional 
Republican Party uh, policy on foreign policy. Actually, even the Democrats, if you go back to Grover Cleveland. But that should be the foreign policy of all Republicans and really everyone. Um, when Eisenhower became the nominee and said he was a Democrat, yeah. there were Democrats who wanted to even draft him to be the, their party's nominee as opposed to Adlai Stevenson in 52. And Eisenhower instituted what he called the new Republicanism. Mm. He transformed the Republican Party to be a mirror of the Democrat Party of FDR and Harry Truman. And we need to go back to the uh, uh, Robert Taft uh, view on foreign policy, which is not interventionism. And if you're conservative, what are you conserving? We need to conserve the foreign policy positions, among yeah. other positions, of the founding fathers. Otherwise, you're a globalist Democrat in sheep's clothes. Yeah. What, what do you make of this um, uh, this article by by Corey Shake? Is it is it like uh, Gary says here? They need to get the Republican Party back on the, on the reservation there, uh, or are they looking at the party? Perhaps the Democrats have become so weak, and apparently they're perhaps I don't understand how they're not warmongering enough because it seems it is. What do you make of this article by Corey Shake? I think that these politicians and globalists are afraid that because of Biden's unpopularity, that that if they lose him, yeah. and Trump is is hypothetically elected president, yeah. if he gets a nomination and so forth, they fear that they'll lose the gains that they've made. Whereas like in the year 2000, you know, the Democrats, obviously, they nominate Al Gore to keep the Bill Clinton policies yeah, going on. But look, you get George W. Bush. By the way, they win. They don't win. it. Yeah, yeah. They win either way because not much changes. Right. But they fear that if there's a Trump presidency, it changes. So we need to find a Republican who's more like Biden, more mm. like the establishment, hence Nikki Haley. Yeah. And again, we, we are seeing... Uh, Lots of force being put, lots of support being put behind Nikki Haley. She's clearly the establishment favorite. Obviously, Chris Christie, we're, we're anywhere close in the polls. I'd imagine he'd he'd be as well. I, th I thought it found it interesting how it was when it came to entitlement reform. They're like, oh, yeah, these two are best. But the whole the rest of the article has nothing to do with that. So thanks, guys. Up next, a judge orders documents naming Epstein Associates to be unsealed. And Julian Assange has Republican and Democrat support. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow. Safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can get your subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, you can hit subscribe. If you prefer, you can call. Call 800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That is 800-727-8783. Now let's look at our next story. 
So a New York federal judge has ordered that hundreds of documents with names of Jeffrey Epstein's associates be unsealed. Epstein, of course, is a convicted pedophile who ran a child prostitution ring believed to be part of an intelligence operation. Here's New York's Fox 5 reporting on the matter. A Manhattan federal judge has ordered documents in a lawsuit connected to Jeffrey Epstein be unsealed. All right, that ruling likely will make the names of dozens of people with ties to Epstein public. Fox 5 Sharon Crowley in the news are with more on exactly what that order means tonight. Sharon. Yeah, Stephen Natasha, those names could involve powerful business executives from former American presidents to British royalty and maybe names of public figures who we don't even know yet that may have had ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, a federal judge here in New York has ordered the unsealing of dozens of documents naming people linked to the disgraced businessman and accused sex trafficker. Those documents are expected to identify more than 180 people. The list will include associates, victims, investigators, and journalists who covered the case. Now, some of the names will remain under seal, including those belonging to minors. The accused pedophiles case generating worldwide interest. Epstein's suicide in 2019 in a Manhattan jail cell, further amplifying the public's thirst for information. And I think, quite frankly, the public has a right to know because, as you said, there's a form. There's at least one former president on that list. There's a former governor. There's members of the British royal family, A-list actors and celebrities, titans of business such as Bill Gates and Alan Dershowitz in the legal field. These are names I think that the public has a right to know who was associating with this man and what their association entailed to the extent that that information is available. Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett is working to uncover Epstein's client flight log. Here he is on Newsmax a couple days ago answering the question of why there's resistance to that. And too many of my colleagues, I'm afraid, are compromised. Uh, in this area for whatever reason. Somebody just whispered in their ear, said, hey, you don't want something to come out on something else. You better keep your mouth shut on this. And that's exactly what they've done. And um, and it continues to go, whether it's the honeypot that the Russians used to use or something worse. I don't know. But, but it's clearly, you see that up and down the line. You see good conservatives vote for liberal policies. And frankly, you see some liberals occasionally that will vote for something else. So obviously the... Um, the Congress has been compromised, and this continues on through the White House, through the Justice Department. It's a the, the trash can is very deep. It's not a it's not a, it, mm-hmm. hey, it's not a swamp. It's an open sewer. <laughs> what do you what do you guys make of uh, Burchett's comments? I mean, uh, we we've looked in some of this. Uh, those of us who've read some of the reporting on this this blackmail, the sexual blackmail operation that apparently has been in place for at least decades, probably more than half a century. Uh, and Burchett is saying what it seems like we all know is that this is how they get you. This is how the deep state operates. And it's so swampy that it's not even swamp. It's a sore. It's that disgusting. That's how corrupt this is. Uh, what do you what do you think of all well, of I think we saw an example of that very recently with the news coming out about a congressional aide who was playing in a sewer, so to speak. He was using a sewer for recreation, yeah. uh, engaging in an unnatural act. Yeah. And the, uh, he was being uh, sodomized in the, house, in the, the Capitol. Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, that, that's right. And, yeah. and, of course, that's just uh, one example. And I think one thing we, we need to keep in mind, and, and studies have confirmed this over the years, uh, is that when you look at the morality of the people in power, 
you look in, uh, at the morality of uh, public uh, officials who are entrusted with power, mm-hmm. and then you look at the morality of the people as a whole, the morality of the people as a whole is better than the morality of their uh, their rulers. We've seen that time and time again. Yeah. And uh, so it does stress the importance of getting back to the Constitution and taking our, our elected officials and holding them within the boundaries of the Constitution. Or getting rid of some of these. I mean, oh, if, how many of these captured officials and corrupt ones? And we can tell, I, I, obviously, we don't know who exactly they are, but we can, uh, we can tell just by the way they vote. We don't even have to know how many of them are playing in the SOAR, but we could just use the scorecard to see their votes uh, and then get rid of them. Let's look at our next story. A bipartisan group of House representatives are calling for the United States to drop all charges against an attempt to extradite Julian Assange. Assange is accused of helping former U.S. Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning leak thousands of classified diplomatic cables and military files, which were then published by WikiLeaks in 2010. The documents reveal that the U.S. had killed hundreds of civilians in Afghanistan in previously undisclosed incidents. The leaks also exposed the hiring of child prostitutes by Defense Department contractors. Assange has always denied any wrongdoing, arguing that his actions were journalistic and in the public interest. And it seems that some American lawmakers agree. The bipartisan resolution to drop charges against Assange was introduced by Congressman Paul Gosser of Arizona and co-sponsored by six other Republicans and two Democrats, Representatives James McGovern and Ilhan Omar. The other Republicans are Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Anna Paulina Luna of Florida, Eric Burleson of Missouri, Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, and Clay Higgins of Louisiana. The resolution says that what Assange did falls under the category of regular journalistic activities, and it is therefore protected by the First Amendment. These lawmakers also believe that allowing these charges to stand would encourage more prosecution of journalists who obtain and publish information that is damning to the government. Assange has been held in a high-security prison in the UK for five years without having been convicted of anything. He's also been fighting extradition to the US. In a recent episode, the show Redacted said that Assange is treated very poorly. His health is bad, he's paranoid all the time, and for good reason, apparently. He's denied access to books, and they play constant games when it comes to meeting with his lawyers. They also pointed out Joe Biden's position on the matter years ago. Um, And also recall that in 2010, when the WikiLeaks documents came out, even Joe Biden admitted in an interview, uh, this was, take a look at the date, you can't really see it, but I wrote it down there, December 19th, 2010. This is a quote from Joe Biden about the WikiLeaks documents saying, I don't think there's any substantive damage, which means nobody lost their lives. They can't necessarily make the case that this made us less safe. Uh, What they were doing made us less safe by waging wars, killing people over uh, overseas. So Christian, I can see why they would make that point, because if we start going down this path, um, you know, as a reporter, I remember I was called in, in, in actually in a police station once because somebody dropped like a pile of, of, of internal documents showing the corruption within like a health clinic. And so, but obviously what he's facing is far. What, what do you make of, uh, of, of this, apparently this, this bipartisan coalition? Good on them, right? Even Ilhan Omar is on that. That's like the first thing I've ever seen her do that's good. <laughs> Yeah, occasionally uh, these far left Democrats do get something right. I'm sure they have different motivations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, this is this is this is this is progress. This is this is great. We need to get more Republican and Democrat lawmakers too. Why not? 
uh, to sign on to this legislation because uh, what what Julian Assange was trying to do is shed light on the uh, on the deep state. On the, yeah. on the he's fighting the same battle we are. We may not agree with all of his tactics. We may not agree with everything he believes in. But Julian Assange has done a a, um, a service. You think a service for the American people and for people around the world because our government shouldn't be one of secrets and and doing nefarious activities. It should be a government that is honest and transparent. And, open, and, yeah. and if it's doing things that it shouldn't be doing, well, the American people need to know what those things are. Yes, and so obviously part of that means that we can't punish people who bring that to light, especially journalists. Journalists used to be, you know, looked highly looked upon, you know, it's like we depended on them to 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 do great investigations, to look into, uh, to find out what uh, our, our aspiring rulers are doing. Do you have any thoughts on this, Gary? Well, the, the media, which of course should be the, uh, the watchdogs of government, uh, the media have instead become lapdogs, and yeah. it's absolutely discussion. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. the New American is a notable exception. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and hopefully this this continues this path where uh, both Democrats and Republicans see the uh, the that this it's in our interest to defend people like Assange. Thank you, guys. Up next, Wisconsinites are pushing back on the Satanic Temple. Sophia paused before the door. It read Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Yesterday, a coalition of concerned Wisconsinites held a press conference and prayer vigil as part of an effort to have the National Railroad Museum remove the Satanic Temple's tree display from their Christmas Festival of Trees. The event was organized by local radio host Joe Gigante. Here he is explaining the absurdity in all of this. As we explain in our release, we're here today for a very simple request. It really shouldn't be a heavy lift at this Christmas season as we're in Advent. The National Railroad Museum has been both a local and national treasure. Scores of children throughout the years and adults alike have come here to learn about trains, enjoy the sights, the sounds, the experience of the train, and that's been marred by what would be called an unforced error, deciding for reasons that don't even add up to have a satanic tree as part of a Christmas Festival of Trees display. What what you're gonna see today, hear from today, is people from all walks of life, elected officials, people that run organizations, and as you see here, dozens of people from all walks of life coming together, not for political reasons, but for a very simple reason. 
to remember what it is we're here to celebrate, which is Christmas, and ask a very simple request. Take down the tree. Apologize to all the people that have donated both directly as, as, as benefactors and through their purchases of tickets through the years. They send scores of kids on school buses here each season. And the president of the Railroad Museum said, well, the satanic tree offers a educational experience. That's not the education people are expecting at a railroad museum. They're expecting train education. It really isn't difficult. The satanic temple says they're not a religion, so there's no concern that it's a discriminatory practice. Somehow you're, you're choosing one faith over another. And my final piece on this is it's right in the name. It is Christmas. It is the celebration of the birth of the Christ child. To host something that is anathema to it, that is the, the polar opposite, can't be anything but an insult. Here's what U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher had to say. It is, it's a national treasure that we have right here in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, the Dwight D. Eisenhower train, the event they do with the Polar Express, all this is just great classic Northeast Wisconsin values in action, which makes it all the more tragic that something like this has happened. I think, as I also said to you, you expect something like this to happen in San Francisco or New York, but not here in Green Bay, not, not, not in Northeast Wisconsin. And so here you have people that are not just speaking out because they're Christians and because it's Christmas, but they're just common sense Wisconsinites that don't want to be assaulted by nonsense like this. And as a father of two young daughters, I'm not asking the Railroad Museum to teach my kids about Christmas per se, to do things that's my responsibility as their parents, but just don't force all this stuff onto kids. This creeping, we get accused as conservatives of waging a culture war. We're just resisting the slow like corruption of our culture. What a great point from uh, from Congressman Gallagher, right? Because it's um, the Satanic Temple seems to have gotten pretty bold, at least over the last couple of years. We've seen these after school clubs of Satanic clubs. We saw the statue, I believe, in the Iowa Capitol and whatnot. Uh, this is one thing that uh, maybe we fail to recognize that the spiritual component is as important. I would argue actually more important in the restoration of this nation. And I think it's very reflective of where we are by the fact that the satanic temple is getting bold and they're popping up all over, all over the place. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Gary, before was saying in one of the previous segments, we need to go back to the Constitution. And of course, John Adams, our second U.S. president, uh, said that our Constitution was written only for a moral and religious people. And he wasn't talking about... Um, uh, the satanic temple type of religious because yeah. they may claim to be a religious institution, but they're not. The satanic temple, so-called satanic church, is not a church. It is an anti-church. It is an it is specifically an anti-Christian overall, yeah. mainly against anything that resembles um, mm -hmm. Christ and Christianity. It, it, it is an anti-religion. And you go to their website, as both Gallagher and also State Senator Andre Jacques, who was, who was also there, uh, spoke, you go to their website, it's a giant advertisement for abortion, where they even call abortion part of their worship practice to Satan. So the church of so-called, so-called so church of Satan is really a mockery of all things Christianity. Yeah. And it, and in the in these people, these Satanists who are promoting these things and all the statues that you mentioned, different state capitals, they are trying to attack Christianity. The culture war, as Gallagher ac accurately pointed out, is not being waged by us. It's the other side waging a war against our culture, against traditional 
family values in, 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 in our Judeo-Christian culture here in America. Uh, yeah, I mean, the degeneracy that we're seeing and, and the corruption, I mean, he, he meant the word, he used the word corruption. I don't know if he meant it as part, uh, uh, in line with some of the stuff we've been discussing, but there's a link here. This is reflective of why we are in the trouble that we are. And people have to realize, I would argue that the church is, should be in the front of the line, a tip of the spear against, uh, against the forces trying to destroy this nation and as part of the solution. What do you think, Gary? Well, um, I, I agree with you. And uh, uh, I would say, too, that uh, I agree with what you said earlier, that morality or religion, uh, religious principles are more important than uh, the political because uh, what happens in our culture, which is based on those principles, mm-hmm. um, ultimately determines what happens politically. And if we lose our national morality, yeah. uh, freedom is, uh, is, is impossible. Right, uh, it cannot exist without uh, without mas- national morality, and and so this uh, war uh, against the the culture uh, that uh, Americans historically have held in c- common, the Judeo uh, Christian culture, uh, this is obviously by design uh, in order to help destroy America to bring about the uh, the new world order where man will rule, rule sup- uh, supreme and uh, God will, would be uh, uh, removed from the public square. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, Christians need to get on board. They need to get politically uh, activated. Right. Uh, and they need to help, like like Mike Gallagher was also saying, it's like, look, I, I understand it's not the, the job of someone else to teach my kids. And that's another, I, th- I thought that was another interesting point. Christian, you look like you want to jump in. Yeah, I, I do want to say something because we're running out of time. I would recommend everyone who's watching this to and listening as well to contact the National Railroad Museum oh, in Green Bay and tell them to take down this tree. This festival of, of Christmas tree display is supposed to end on December 31st, but the president of the board of the of the National Railroad Museum has said that he's welcomed the the satanic tree to come back the following year. So we can expect this battle to go on in the future. So yeah. everyone needs to contact the National Railroad Museum. Help them to take down this mockery of Christianity at Christmas time, yeah. the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, to take down the street, to never host that again, and to apologize to the American people, because this is the National Railroad Museum yeah. that's in Green Bay, to apologize and to um, never do this again. Yeah, and uh, like Joe Gigante also says, like it's weird. It's like, why do they want in on this? It's Christmas. It's a Christmas festival of trees. Like They have nothing to do with that. I think that's just that's just them being satanic. <laughs> right? No question about that. And I was just thinking, too, if you, if you look at the word Christmas and you divide it um, into two syllables and treat it as two words, you have Christ Mass. Yes. Yes, that's that's true, Gary. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, I mean, thank you for bringing that up. You were you were there when uh, you actually reported on this, I guess, or you actually even uh, spoke to, to Mike Gallagher. And it's good to see that the public officials, they're getting in on this, too. They're standing up. Uh, did did uh, what did, did Gallagher have any other further insight when you were talking to him, as far as any of this stuff? Well, I, I did ask Congressman Gallagher, and of course, the, I know the New American will have the video up on the website uh, at some point, probably later today or tomorrow. I asked Congressman Gallagher since since the museum is nationally recognized by an act of Congress as mm. being the National Railroad yeah, Museum, yeah. Um, if if Congress might do anything about this and. Uh, uh, he said that perhaps the the House of Representatives could look at uh, funding issues, and so did 
As Senator Andre Jacques, he said maybe the state itself of Wisconsin could look at any kind of funding issues for leverage because the, the museum does uh, get some funding from both the state and federal government. Oh, that's a, yeah. So that that ought to put some pressure on him. I mean, I don't know anything about the president of the museum or anything, but the fact that you said that he's welcoming them next next year is pretty interesting. Yeah, as Congressman Gallagher said, this is the kind of thing you might expect in a city like New York or Chicago, San Francisco, but, San Francisco, but not in Northeast Wisconsin and Green Bay, a city of like a hundred thousand uh, people. So we, can, if we allow this to happen here in Green Bay, in a small. Yeah town relatively small compared to new york city like green bay they're, they're gonna have they're gonna push this in every corner of the u.s thanks christian after this we need to break the two-party system paradigm home food protection daily necessities for your family there are many that want you to depend on them for these things don't fall for the trap stay self-reliant get a copy of our latest collector's edition self-reliance learn about the necessity of self-reliance for a free people and basic tips on how to get there never give up hope in the first segment we discuss how the globalists crafted the two-party system trap in this segment we're going to look at how to break people out of it all right gentlemen so this is going to be fun uh, this I was one of those people, and I think at some point we were all one of those people where we looked at the way things are and we said, it's like, okay, these guys have an R by their name and, and they're good guys and we must oppose the left. And uh, earlier on, we uh, played a clip from Newsmax, Chris Salcedo, and I had watched a larger portion of that clip. And I had noticed too that he too was framing everything in this, this two-party system. Uh, and that's hurt us quite a bit, hasn't it? The fact that we look at things that way, and that's part of the plan, isn't it? Well, I, I think what this illustrates is the importance of getting back to the Constitution. Uh, let's consider the fact that when somebody does become a congressman or somebody does become president of the United States, yeah. or, and, and why limit our discussion to the national government? Yeah. When somebody becomes a state legislator or mm. somebody becomes a, a, a sheriff, uh, they take an oath. They do not take an oath to the Republican Party. Mm. They do not take an oath to the Democrat Party. Yeah. They take an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. So that should be our guiding principle. Uh, and, of course, we're living in a world today, when you look at the Republicans and you look at the Democrats, uh, the Democrats are far, far worse. I mean, it's become basically a communist party. Yeah. But let's not overlook the fact that when we look at the Republican Party, uh, there are many Republicans who are Republicans in name only. There are rhinos. Uh, and they are a huge part of the problem. So when we look at a politician, we should look at his voting record. We should look at his actions. Mm. Uh, and that should govern what we think of that politician. If only we had a tool for that, huh, Christian? Oh, uh, do we have tools? <laughs> well, well, Christian. Uh... Well, let me see what, 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 what I can pull out of my hat. Oh, we do have the scorecards, yeah. uh, the Freedom Index. Yeah. And the Freedom Index is published in the New American Magazine. And, and on jbs.org. So and there's no yes, way you can also. miss it. Yep, theamerican.com, thefreedomindex.org website as well. So we have all of these tools, and they're, they're designed to educate. They're not designed. So, you know, it's interesting. When we cre uh, pick the votes for the Freedom Index, and then those votes are even used for the congressional scorecard, mm. even when we pick the votes for the state legislative scorecards, we don't try to pick the votes that show 
who's the best Republican, where Republicans get all hundreds or nineties or whatever, yeah. and Democrats get all zeros or tens. We pick the votes that, as as one of our colleagues, Larry Greenley, likes to say a lot, uh, separate the men from the boys. In other words, uh, d- uh, show which one are the true constitutionalists, because that is our criteria for all of these scorecards, the, the Constitution and the, the federal Constitution I'm referring to specifically, and the principles of liberty that undergird the, the American Constitution. So w- our scorecard is unique from all the other organizations that may produce their own kind of scorecard, and that we're not rating you for who's the most politically conservative or yeah. politically liberal, but rather who is abiding by the Constitution. And when you look at the 20th century in terms of Congress and in the 21st century as well, the two most constitutionalist, conservative, or you know, constitutionalist members of the U.S. House of Representatives were uh, Congressman Larry McDonald, former chairman of the John Birch Society, and Congressman Ron Paul of Texas. Mm-hmm. And these individuals voted nearly identical in, in their tenures in, in the House of Representatives, and they both belonged to different parties. Larry McDonald was a registered Democrat yeah. in Georgia, and Ron Paul, as I mentioned, a Republican. But the reason why they voted so similarly um, was because they they looked at every time a bill came before them, is it constitutional? Can we afford it? And mm. do we need it? Those were the three guiding principles for those two individuals. Right. And now we're seeing more people voting that way. And of course, if it was not unconstitutional, excuse me, if it uh, was not constitutional, they then would not look at the other criteria. They Absolutely. Would stop at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we need to get back to. So our scorecards and Freedom Index help to distinguish who is voting like that. So if your congressman got, gets a 90 in the Freedom Index or a 100, call his or her office and congratulate them to encourage them. And if they're getting a, a 40% or 65, say, hey, uh, what, I see that you voted on, on this. Yeah. Put the pressure on them. Make them feel a little uncomfortable because it's a bad vote. So they shouldn't get rewarded for a bad yes. vote. And, of course, the pressure should be applied, not just during the heat of an election campaign. No, all the time. They should know we're watching them. Non-election year and election year alike. And I think there is a tendency to think that in order to effect change, uh, in order to make Congress a better Congress, uh, that that happens strictly in the the voting booths. Uh, And obviously, um, uh, there are changes that are made in the voting booths. Mm -hmm. But let's consider the fact that most congressmen are probably pragmatic. Uh, They're not... uh, you know, 100% for the Constitution, on yeah. the one hand. Uh, they're not doctrinaire Marxists or communists, on the other hand. They just want to stay in some, office, They huh? just want to stay in the office. And uh, so they're going to look at the political wins. And if uh, informed Americans who believe in our country, believe in the Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, apply uh, informed pressure, uh, they can get uh, uh, liberal congressmen to become less mem- liberal, less liberal yeah. to move in the constitutionalist direction. And many of them uh, do that when, when that informed pressure is applied. So uh, they do that in order to stay electable. Yeah. I mean, we've heard several stories from members of the John Birch Society, and this is what they do. Our members, they... They meet and they um, they concoct plans of attack, kind of. Well, persuasive, not attack, literally, but, you know, they apply pressure because it, it does work. You know, we heard from Congressman Burchett earlier. He's one who has a pretty decent score. And we've interviewed Andy Biggs and we've interviewed Matt Rosendale and Ron Johnson, whose scores are coming up as they're— With Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey. We, he, you know, you interview him several times. These are just a few of, yeah. of, of the, well. Yeah, and Andy Biggs. Uh, and Andy that, Biggs, yeah. I think, is a good example to point to right now because in the next issue mm. of the magazine that will be uh, Oh, yeah, that's out, not out yet, yes. Uh, and, so yeah, we've interviewed Andy, Ma- uh, Andy Biggs is on, on the cover. Uh, but we look at his voting record, his first term, mm-hmm. his average voting record uh, in the Freedom Index 
was 90%. Mm. His second term, 90%. His third term, 100%. Wow. Uh, fourth term to date, 100%. So, you know, there is this fallacy that when you get to Washington, D.C., that that means you get worse and worse yeah, and worse. Yeah, the swap uh, mode just and makes are, you worse. But, but uh, you know, the, there are examples, and Andy Biggs is one, and mm-hmm. another is Ron Johnson, the U.S. Senator from Wisconsin, yeah. uh, where they have gone in an opposite direction uh, in their quest to do the right thing and, and uh, find out what the truth is. And they're being more outspoken right. about the swamp, about the corruption, about the degeneracy. Uh, we're seeing, I think we're living, we're seeing in real life, we're living through a, a transition, I think. And I think that's why the, the, the Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, I think there's a little panic over there because they may have totally lost uh, the GOP. It doesn't seem like it's the party of the establishment. There are a lot of good things happening, and it all starts with education, and it all starts with people realizing that you cannot be tribalistic. You cannot be partisan, because that's how we got here in the first place. We sat by and we said, well, since there's a Republican in the, in the White House, we'll be okay. Well, how did that work out with George H.W., with George W.? We saw that. The wars broke out. We had the Patriot Act come out under George, uh, George Jr. Chris uh, Christian, you look like you want to jump in here. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the, probably the largest expansion of government since the Great Society was probably under George W. Bush with the Department of Homeland Security and Medicare Part D was a massive expansion under a supposed conservative. And that's what happens when conservatives, uh, so-called conservatives, say, oh, we won the election. Let's all uh, sit back before the next four years. We, uh, you know, we got this. And that's yeah. the wrong thinking. And you know? spending goes up, too. It continues. Absolutely. And yeah. no, at that point, we, we stop saying anything. And oh. that's why I got to look at the actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot just look at the uh, the rhetoric. I mean, obviously, uh, Democrats uh, engage in a rhetoric to appeal to a liberal constituency. Yeah, right. Republicans engage in a rhetoric that appeals to a conservative constituency. Yeah. But we got to look beyond that and look at what they're actually doing. Well, it, I, I'm glad you brought that up because one, it looks like one of the globalist plans, and it's obviously no surprise, is they're going to persuade people to be internationalists and they're going to come through the GOP and they're going to present these arguments that are going to make people rethink yep. our, our lack of international entanglements or our reluctance to be internationally uh, entangled. In a few seconds left, Paul, we should mention join the John Birch Society if you're not already a member and become informed, uh, inform your fellow citizens because that understanding that you create in the organization uh, through the John Birch Society uh, ultimately is what's going to make the difference as to whether we save our freedom. Excellent pitch, Gary. And you can do so online at jbs.org. But we have chapters in every state. Uh, we have members in every state. Uh, there's Just put your zip code, go to jbs.org, take action, and get it done. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of The New American Daily. You can get more truth behind the news at thenewamerican.com. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow.